0: Hey, please, you can have a seat. Grab your Bibles. As we were singing, the thing that I was, it was, obviously I'm I'm thinking about the message, and I'm thinking about how everything fits together, and as always, it it happens so often, I'm just amazed at how all the pieces kind of line up, And, and, and I think the question that I was wrestling with in my head is as we sang about the goodness of God, and then we sang about the faithfulness of God, and then we sang about the holiness of God. And I know that many of us are sitting in this room, we're like, He's holy, sure, I'm there. I'm struggling with these other ones. I'm struggling with the goodness. I'm struggling with his faithfulness. It's like, it's like that splinter in your finger that you just can't get rid of. You ever felt that? You know it's there. And there's many times I've done minor surgery in my house. Nail clippers, like goggles. Rubbing alcohol. I'm trying it all, and I'm like, there, I got it. And then just a minute later, I'm like, not, nah, still there. Right? You ever had that? Am I the only one? Cool. All right. This is going to go. Cool. All right. The reality is, those irritants remain sometimes. The truth is always the truth. But there's that irritant. You know that um, one of the most irritating things to an oyster is a grain of sand. Just a single grain of sand. And I didn't know if you know this or not. I didn't know this until last summer when my wife and I went to St. Augustine. We were standing by the bay. We're looking out. There's a bunch of oysters on the ground. Not on the ground, because that would be like suicide for oysters. No, they were in the water. And we're watching. I'm like, what is happening? And all the oysters are like, pff, 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 pff. they're spitting. Did you know the oysters spit? There's your trivia thing for today. You're welcome. What they do is they take in the water, they run it through their system, they get the nutrients they need from it, and then they expel the, the rest of it. Now, now, then what happens sometimes is when they bring in the water, there's some irritants that come in, oftentimes sand, and, but they're easy to expel, they just, and they spit it right out. It's a miracle I did not spit my cough drop out right there. It's a pretty, I mean, praise Jesus right there. That's, that's one, one thing I've heard. But they spit it out, but, but sometimes, in a very rare occasion, this one grain of sand, they just can't shake. So what they do is the only thing that they can do, is they embrace it as the irritant that it is, and they begin to coat it in this liquid that over time solidifies, and they just continue to coat it over and over and over again until until the process is done and one of us happens to uh, have great luck and stumble upon an oyster, and we open it up and we find in it a pearl. So, call a pearl what it is solidified oyster phlegm. (laughs) You're welcome, ladies. (laughs) But if there was never an irritation, if there was never frustration, there'd be no pearl. You know, God's trying to make a pearl out of your life. Now, let's be honest. We, we all want to get to that pearl part and ignore the irritation part, right? We all want to be Joseph, second in command, but, but we forget that that didn't happen without his family selling him into slavery, being lied about by Potiphar's wife, being thrown into jail, and then being forgotten in jail for a number of years before he was able to achieve that pearl status. We all want to be Moses, leading the people of God from, from, from oppression, liberating them from the Egyptians, but we forget that for 40 years before Moses led the people out of Israel, he led an out-of-public-view life tending sheep for his father-in-law in Midian, all the while hoping that the people who wanted to murder him from Egypt never found him. We all want to be David, the second king of Israel, who led Israel into the Golden Age, right? But we forget that the time between First Samuel chapter sixteen, where he was anointed king, and Second Samuel chapter five, when he actually becomes king, is actually a period of fifteen years. Fifteen years where he ran for his life, hid in caves, dodged spears thrown by the king. Even at one point, pretended to be a madman just to escape with his life. We want to be Daniel, but well, we we don't want lions or lentils. Right? I mean we, we just want the Daniel, the powerful man of God who prayed like nobody else's business but wouldn't forget that actually he was met with opposition around every corner. That irritant, that, that splinter. We all have it. Every single one of you in here has it. I don't care how old or how young you are. We all we all have it. So what do we do with it? Well, James gives us. Um, a very specific word in verse 7, James chapter 5, where he says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Did you catch that? The command that James gave you is your favorite word in the English language. Patience. Because we're a patient people, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. We're super patient. You can tell. Just get behind the wrong person in the Dunkin' Donuts line. Or, I love you, if you're here and you work there, I love you, please forgive me. I will continue to go there, even though I will make fun of this, but it is absolutely true. Just go to Dunkin' Donuts in Tawny Town to test your patience. <laughs> they get it right, it just takes a while. We are in a microwave generation, a fast food generation. We are in the easy pass lane of life, and that's what we prefer to be in. You mentioned the word patience, we're all like, don't ever pray for that. James uses the word, it's a compound word, two different words. The first word means long The second word means anger, rage, wrath, or frustration. And so what James is saying is patience here. Be patient. Be long or slow to frustration. Long or slow to anger. And here's the uncomfortable truth. What that means is that if if we are being commanded to be slow to anger, it also means that we are going to be tempted to get angry because you don't learn patience in a comfortable setting. It begins with some sort of irritant, some sort of adversity, some sort of frustration, and, 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 and it's interesting that James makes it very clear when we are affected by this adversity, we're affected by this irritation, when it gets its grip on us, the, the all-too-familiar response of all of us is to lash out at the people around you. Look, look, he says that. Verse 9, brothers and sisters, don't complain. That word can also be translated grumble or murmur about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Do not lash out at other people while you are learning this patience. As soon as he says this word, don't complain, don't grumble, don't murmur, man. That's Exodus language right there, right? Okay, let me let me help you. I love doing this. It's an onomatopoeia. my favorite kind of word. So the idea is this: is the children of Israel are wandering, it says they continue to grumble and to murmur. So let's do this first. On, let's just do uh, you, these, these these two sections. You two sections. You're going to be our grumblers. You three sections are gonna be our murmurers, okay? So what I want to, all I want you to do is just say, you don't have to yell it, no, just say it, just say it. Say grumble five times, go. <laughs> five times, murmur, go. <laughs> now you know what drove Moses nuts! <laughs> the reality is we find ourselves in these situations Where God says there's an irritant, I'm about to make a pearl, and we're like, (laughs) "Anymore." We forget that what James says at the very beginning of his book is, "Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters." Take this situation, take that irritant, and slide it into the good column because God has a purpose. And he continues his picture. I, 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 it's fascinating to me because, because you get this place, like this irritant, this frustration. And I'm just overwhelmed. I can't do this anymore. People are driving me crazy. My nerves are just absolutely shot. I can't get free of this. God, your timing stinks. What are you doing to me? Don't you think you could just bless me once? Why do you have to keep trying? You ever live there? You ever feel that? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be patient. But what does patience look like? He tells us, verse 7, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because if you answer this one incorrectly, you will be beaten to a pulp in your seat. (laughs) I love you too much. How many of us would say farmers are lazy? Oh, exactly. It's like, I would never even joke about raising my hand. Exactly right. I'm fighting words, especially around here. Farmers are not lazy. A farmer doesn't just show up in the field having done nothing and expect to harvest a crop. No, the farmer does everything he can possibly do from sunrise to sunset. And he does it over and over and over and over and over and over. And as he does everything he possibly can do, his next step is to then... Wait on God. Because unless God does his part, bringing the rain, that crop is going to be hurting. But the farmer isn't just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He's actively waiting. He's doing what he can do and waiting for God to do what only God can do. I'm not saying that's easy. It's simple, right? It's not complicated. But it is not easy. It takes courage. It takes faith. It takes trust. This is the picture we get in Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. The one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed. He will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. This is the farming picture of patience. This farmer has on his side bag that he walks through his field. He's got all of the seed that he has gathered from the previous year's harvest. This is it. He's got nothing else. He's got no other options. 401K did not exist. If these seeds don't take, if this harvest does not come through in the end, then he has nothing left. And the picture the psalmist is giving us is the actively patient farmer who's saying, okay God, I'm going to do everything I can. The rest is up to you. And as he's dropping the seed, he's watching the level of the seed go down in the bag as he continues to sow the seed through his field, knowing if God doesn't come through, my family's done. I have nothing. Now does he go back and hide the rest of his seed? No, he plants every last one of them. He does everything he can possibly do and waits for God to do what only God can do. So let me ask you, oh irritated one, frustrated one, what has God told you to do? Scary, a little intense, makes my chest hurt a little, but I I, I know, I understand, there are people here who are struggling, you are hurting, and I don't know what your irritant is, so let me me introduce a few of those maybe maybe it is your marriage maybe it's that child who's wandering from Jesus maybe it's your employment maybe it's your health maybe it's your financial situation and you just can't fix it and it seems like every time you get a little momentum, ah there it is again what are you supposed to do? You do whatever you can do. and You trust God to do his part, just like the farmer. Frank, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm throwing the seed in the ground, and I'm standing back. I'm like, all right, bring the rain, Lord. Bring the rain. And nothing is happening. Now what do I do? Well, James tells you. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. Look at the prophets. Look at those folks who are so highly esteemed in the history of the Hebrew nation as they spoke to a rebellious people who were wandering and abandoning God. Look at those prophets. That's the next thing you need to do. Well, well, let's think about that a little. What kind of message is James trying to communicate here? Well, let's let's think about a few of the prophets. Let's think uh, about um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Ezekiel is taken captive with a bunch of his countrymen. Um, by the Babylonians. And then God speaks to Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, this is what I need you to do. I need you to show my people a picture of my covenant faithfulness. I need you to show my people that I've been long-suffering with them even though they continue to chase other gods. So this is what I'm going to have you do, Ezekiel. You ready? All right, I want you to strip down naked, wear your loincloth, and lay on your left side for 390 days. Don't move. Okay. I love word pictures. I promise you I ain't doing that one. <laughs> you know what's going to happen after he does that? This powerful message from God to the people of God about that rebellion and about God's covenant faithfulness? They're just going to call him dramatic. And nothing's going to change. What about Hosea? God comes to Hosea and says, my people don't feel what I feel. They don't understand that their sin breaks my heart. They don't understand how long-suffering I've been with them, even though they continue to turn their back on me and chase after other gods. So this is what I want you to do, Hosea. You ready? Okay, here we go. Hosea, I want you to go to the other side of town, and I want you to find this woman. Her name is Gomer. Red flag. Okay, find Gomer. I want you to marry Gomer. Okay? Would you marry Gomer? Bring her home. You're going to have children with Gomer. And then after some time, this is what's going to happen. Gomer is going to shatter your heart. She's going to betray you, not just once. She's going to leave you. And when she goes, you don't just let her go. You pursue her. The same way I pursue my people. What about Jeremiah? (laughs) Jeremiah called to be a prophet at 20 years old, worked for 40 years calling a nation to repent, and everyone hated him. Everyone. He gets beaten by the priests. All right, I work in the field of religion. Us priests don't tend to be very buff. But the priest worked him over. The king Had him thrown into prison. He was cast into a cistern, sinking into the mud. Everybody hated Jeremiah. So so let's get back here. So so James says, okay, so so you're doing what God has called you to do. You're waiting on God to do what he's going to do. And nothing's changing. So what do I want you to do? I want you to look at the prophets. Okay, you look at the prophets and you know what you find? Nothing changed. Nothing's changed. Well, that's because you're looking at it wrong. See, in that definition, your patience is about waiting for your own life to improve. What James is saying is, no, patience is the ongoing, relentless pursuit of obedience to God, regardless of the consequences, circumstances, or situation changing. You want to know how to be patient in difficulty? Do what's right. And then do it again. Then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. You want to know how to be patient? Let's talk about the Michael Jordan of patience. Verse 11 You have heard of Job's endurance, and you have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. Hey, I I know, I I know it hurts. and I know it's irritating. I know it's driving you crazy. But you want some perspective? Read Job 1 and 2 this week. This dude didn't just lose some investment money. He lost all of his money. He didn't just lose a few pets. He lost his entire herd. He didn't just have to go to the funeral that had one of his babies in a casket. He had to go to a funeral with 10. He's lost it all and this is what he says. I came naked, I'm going naked. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Oh yeah, right. Okay, good. Man, I'll tell you what. Superstar. Poster. Let's, let's put his name in lights. But the story's not done. That's just chapter one. In chapter two, Job's body is covered in boils. He's in such agony and pain that sitting and taking shards of broken pottery and scraping his skin with it was giving him some measure of relief. His wife, his wife, his wife came to him in the middle of this, looking at their circumstances, looking at the situation and said, you're going to retain your integrity. What is wrong with you? Just curse God and get it over with. Then maybe he'll take your life. Discouraged, depressed, attacked, alone. Or, Or maybe Job probably wished he was alone. How does he respond? I know my Redeemer lives. (laughs) I don't feel anything like that right now. But I know for a fact that my Redeemer lives. So that's the way your prayer needs to start. When this irritant pops up again, it's like, man, I feel like this. I feel like this. I feel like this. But you know what I know? I know my Redeemer lives because truth must always supersede feelings. I, I, time's sake, let me just kind of jump to this. There's a lot of discussion out there about so Why? in Job's life. There's a lot of discussion even from, from Job himself. Why? Why am I going through this? But, but what we know, James tells us here, you've heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. What was the outcome of Job's life? Well, we, I, okay, I, I, I can't tell you exactly. I, I know God knows. The answer for Job obviously wasn't in the, the why or what or how, although he asked a ton of those questions. Why, have I, why, why is this happening to me? How have I sinned against you? What have I done against you? Right? Does that sound familiar, by the way? What have I done to you to deserve this? Why are you doing this to me? Right? That's that's not the outcome of, of Job. The answer at the end of the book of Job is not about what, why, or how. It's who. God says, Job, Job. It's me. Who do you think you are, bud? It's me. Who is God? Well, James tells us. He is the compassionate and merciful one. We know he knows all. We know he sees all. And I can tell you that he desires to bring an outcome in your life that looks a lot like a pearl. He's up to something. Whatever this is, he's up to something. In his mercy, in his compassion, he knows what's best for you. Is that you? Are you in that right now? Is your marriage in trouble? Are your kids wandering? Is your job in jeopardy? Is your financial situation just getting worse and worse and worse? Are you, are you wrestling with infertility? Are you facing a, a health challenge? Are you just frustrated being single? I don't know what it is. God does, and because he's so compassionate and merciful, he's going to form a pearl. And I can't take away the tension or the stress, but I want to do something a little different right now. I want to pray for you. I mean, I pray for you all the time. Obviously, I'm a pastor. That sounded really arrogant. I'm sorry, but... (laughs) I want to pray for you. If you, this is you, if you if you know that there is this irritant, this frustration, this pain, this angst, this anguish, this thing you just just keeps coming. If this is you, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to invite anyone who's not standing to pray for you as well. Would you stand and let me pray for you? Lord, I don't know what any of my family here is wrestling with. But I know you do. Because you are the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-caring God, and there is nothing that has ever surprised you. I know you know. I know you care because you are compassionate and you are merciful. I know there are those who aren't even standing right now who have groaned out to you and you have heard their groans. I know you care about what they're going through. So Father, please allow them to rest in that. And I do pray. I pray that you would step into whatever it is they're going through. I pray that they would get that job. I pray that that kid would yield to Jesus. I pray that you would bring healing that is unthinkable. I pray that you would bring restoration to that marriage. I, I pray that you would just bring a fulfillment and a satisfaction in their life they've never experienced before. I pray that they would conquer addiction through the Spirit's power. I pray that you would jump right into the middle of it and show up for them. But I ask bigger than that, more than that, that you wouldn't just change things, would you change them in the process? Oh, God, I pray that you would give them the spirit of patience they need. It's in the matchless name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Um, I'm supposed to be done. I'm not done. That doesn't surprise a lot of you. I know that. I can't, I can't stop without showing you the beauty of the promise that James gives to us here. I love that James isn't just like, you're going through tough times, suck it up. Rub some dirt on it. It's somewhat subtle, and yet not subtle at all. We start back in verse 7. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Hey, guess what? There is an expiration date on how long you have to be patient. There is an end point to everything you are going through that is not of of glory and wonder and awe. Because one day it's going to be all done. And here's the beauty that James tells us. Hey, guess what? He stands at the door. It's coming. It's not prosperity thinking, you know, everything's going to end up your way. Nope. But everything will end. And one day... You will be able to look upon that glorious face of Jesus Christ Himself and thank Him for what He's done for you. Until the Lord's coming. You think you can hold out that long? I think that's why John at the end of Revelation said, Oh Lord, please, even so, come quickly. What will we thank him for? Well, we're going to thank him for exactly what we're about to celebrate right now together. His broken body and his shed blood for your sins. Because this is all his doing, not ours. Man, if you are here this morning... and you are visiting with us and you know Jesus as your Savior and you're doing your best just to walk with him as best you can, white-knuckling it at times because that's what we all do sometimes, right? Then I'm going to invite you to to take communion with us. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, then I'm going to invite you just to stay in your seat. We look forward to that day. You can celebrate this meal with us, but today's not that day if you don't know Jesus. Instead, what I would like you to do as you sit there, just consider the cost, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ was enough to cover the sins of all of mankind if they would put their faith and trust in Jesus. Would you do that today? Just logistically speaking, if you won't mind, in a moment you're going to stand and leave to your right, come to the front of your section, receive your elements, two cups stacked on top of each other, make sure you grab both of them, return to your seats. The um, gluten-free for our gluten-intolerant folks are in the back. Return to your seat. We're going to sing a song while we're receiving our elements. And then once we've all received the elements... We'll take communion together. Please be dismissed to receive your elements.